about the, the weight of the cross. We've been going on our journey for why we have need of the cross, and here we find ourselves today. We're going to be uh, focusing on a passage that deals directly with the crucifixion and what that means in our lives uh, and, and what it could mean going forward for each one of us. Um, so last week specifically, we talked about sin, about confession, about provenient grace. We discussed the way that sin separates us from God and from one another. Uh, we talked about how confession plays an important role in getting those sins that we've committed out there on the table for us to deal with, uh, and how after they're all out there, the, we're able to make restitution, and perhaps uh, with God's help, we're able to have those sins be turned into blessings, maybe in our lives or in the lives of other people. Uh, we talked about how the grace that goes before us, that provenient grace, uh, is the grace that allows us to start getting right with God before, uh, before we ever were which is why we do the infant baptism. So we talked about that. Uh, today we're going to be focusing on atonement. We're going to be talking about atonement and the way that we are justified in our relationship with God. And these are some really fancy words that deal with some really fancy concepts. But basically what atonement means is at-one-ment. Uh, so if you break that up, at-one-ment with God. Sin causes us to be separated from God, and because of this great separation... We needed to have a way to be at one with our Creator, and that brings us together with God and atonement. We'll also talk about being justified. It means that we're made right with God. All of the ways that we have managed to lose our dignity in the presence of God, all of those ways in which we have created debts that we just simply cannot repay to God, all those ways that we have created a giant chasm, a big gap between us and God that we just cannot cross on our own. They're all done away with when we're justified by the work that God has done. But the big issue that we're facing this morning is that we need to figure out how we are justified so that we can be at one with God. We can experience that at one that atonement. Uh, I think we all already know which direction this is heading based on the songs that we've been singing and what I've said so far. We're going to be taking a journey to the cross today. We're going to be looking at the crucifixions, particularly uh, in one, one particular gospel. And we're going to find ourselves on that hill watching as Jesus is crucified with a criminal on his right side and the criminal on his left side. And we're going to see what grace and mercy and love, we're going to see how they can even be radically unfair in some particular instances. And, and they can be a beautiful thing in others. So my hope is that for those of you who have experienced this grace and this love and this mercy and have recognized it when it happened, uh, that this time together today will re-energize you, it will recharge you to go out into the world and to share that that you have experienced with other people. And for those of you who haven't already experienced this grace and this love and this mercy, but maybe you didn't realize it when it happened, uh, my hope is that by spending some time together today on this, this hill of the crucifixion that you'll be able to experience God's love in a new sort of way in your life. Uh, so let us jump in today. We're going to be reading from Luke, the 23rd chapter. Uh, usually we have the scripture passage up on the screen, but I shortcutted us earlier in the week. Uh, and the more I looked at it, the more I realized we need to get this whole picture. So if y'all will just listen to Luke 23, we'll be starting with the 26th verse. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. To the hills, cover us. 
For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were laid, led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, if he is his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. I want us to pretend for just a minute that we are up here on this hill watching as the crucifixion is taking place. We look at the cross that's being raised with Jesus on it. There's a criminal on his left. There's a criminal on his right. And all three of them have been nailed to these wooden crosses. There's blood pouring out from their skin where they've been beaten before this happened. And from where the nails have been driven into their hands, into their feet. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. You've been listening to everything he had to say. You've been doing what he, had, what he said you needed to do. Maybe that's why you're there. Maybe you haven't been following Jesus that long. Maybe you just heard there was something happening on the hill today and you didn't have much else to do on your schedule, so you went on up there to see what was going on. Whatever it is that brought you to this crucifixion, you find yourself looking into the faces of three men who are in the process of dying. These two criminals that are on either side of Jesus are guilty. They are guilty of of something. We aren't exactly sure what they've done. And at this point, it really doesn't matter. You see, all three of them appear to be beyond the point of saving. All of a sudden, one of the criminals looks at Jesus. And he starts to to sort of make fun of Jesus, kind of like the the centurions had done. It sounds like he's making a last effort to get off of the cross, but in his half-hearted plea to Jesus, we can tell that he really doesn't believe Jesus can do much to help him. Are you not the Christ? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Come on, do something. If you're the Christ, you can do this. Why are we up here? The criminal knew that what he had done deserved the sentence that was being carried out on him. He knew that there were consequences for his actions. Sin has consequences. Whatever it was that this criminal had done had caused him to be sentenced to death on a cross. 
It was a slow and painful death. It was agonizing. They would nail you to the wood with giant railroad-looking spikes. And they would put one in either one of your wrists or your hands. We're not sure exactly. But either way, you'd be stretched out with a nail in there. And then they would cross your ankles. And they'd put a nail in your ankles. And then there was a giant wooden block underneath your feet to where you would kind of be crouched a little bit. And when they put you into position and they raised the cross up, they'd knock that block out and you were holding yourself up. And it was painful. But before any of this ever happened, they would strip you and they would beat you. And it was a very, very slow, agonizing, shameful way to die. Over time, your muscles would become weak. They'd start to give out. And you'd be hanging up there. And you wouldn't be able to support yourself anymore. And you would slowly suffocate to death in front of everybody over a period of hours or sometimes even days. You'd be there as an example for the whole city to see. Whatever it was that these two criminals had done was bad enough to have them die this kind of a death, to be an example to the entire city, for everyone to see that passed by that you cannot behave the way these men have behaved. This criminal knows that this is not going to be a fun few hours. He calls out in this half-hearted way to Jesus, If you are the Christ, save us. Save us. You think to yourself, this is not uncommon for people who are being crucified to to call out, to have pleas, to be saved while they're up there on the cross, but it almost never works. You see, once Rome has declared that the sentence has to be carried out, that's it. It's done. These two criminals were supposed to be crucified on a hill according to the crime that they had committed, but Jesus had committed no such crime. Yet he was right there in between these two who were guilty. The other criminal, after hearing his partner speak to Jesus in such a way, he rebuked his partner in crime. Do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation that this, the Son of God, is. Do you not fear God? That's an interesting question. And it tells us a lot about this particular criminal, about this second criminal. He believes in God. He fears God. He has a respect of God. He knows what he has done is sinful. And he knows that there is a consequence that is far greater than this torturous death that he is in the process of experiencing. As far as he is concerned, he's about to die with no way to be set right between God and himself. He's not going to be able to go to the temple anymore and make any sacrifices that will cleanse himself. He is going to die with these sins creating an eternal separation between him and God. Could you imagine what that would be like? Knowing all of the ways that we fall short of doing what God tells us to do if we had no way of being made right with God? That's a pretty depressing way to look at it, right? Sounds like there's not a lot of hope if that's the case. What a terrible realization to come to, to know that you are about to die and that you will be eternally separated from God because of something that you did not do the way that it needed to be done. You caused a separation. No one else. There's no one else to blame. And as bad as whatever it is that these two criminals had done, they both had accepted their consequences. You know, the first criminal, he knew that he was getting what he deserved. But there was no repentance in his heart. He was getting what he deserved. 
But even in those last moments before his death, he was trying the best he could to make someone else's life just a little more difficult. But the second criminal, he knew he was getting what he deserved. But he understood that what he had done was not right. He was sorry. He had a penitent heart. He had done something he shouldn't have done. But this particular day, there was something different going on on that hill. And this criminal knew that Jesus had done nothing to deserve this death. Perhaps there was something deeper going on that only this criminal and Jesus understood on that hill that day. For whatever reason, Jesus had committed no sin, but he was still experiencing this death on the cross. The second criminal understood at that moment, as he looked at Jesus, the man right next to him, that he was looking at the face of God in the flesh. Ripped, torn, beaten, bruised, but the flesh of his God. And as you looked upon these three men, as you're standing there on the hills that are attached to these crosses, you can see the face of this second criminal begin to look a little hopeful. This isn't a look that you've seen out of anybody on a cross on any other day that you've been there. This emotion of hope just wasn't one that was found on this hill. There were many other emotions you would experience there, but hope was never one of them. But at this moment, As this criminal looked at Jesus, there was just a glimmer of hope. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This criminal is not asking to be let off from his sentence. He had accepted the consequences of his actions. He knew that there was a debt that needed to be repaid. All he was asking was that, as he is eternally separated from his God that that God would remember him. He wasn't asking to be forgotten. He wasn't asking to be... He was asking to not be forgotten. He wasn't asking for anything that he did not deserve. Even that provided, just that knowledge that he might not be forgotten, provided just a little bit of hope for this man who was about to die. And as you heard those words uttered from this dying man's mouth, you couldn't quite comprehend how he could be so at peace with everything going on around him. As all of this is happening, you start thinking to yourself, maybe there's some things in my life that I need to start getting right before I no longer have the opportunity to do so. And then you hear a few more words coming from the cross. They're coming from a different mouth. They're coming from a different person than has spoken in quite a while now. Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This poor child of God being crucified with his Savior had only asked that he be remembered during this eternal separation. But what Jesus had heard was something far different. What Jesus heard was a cry coming from one of his brothers who knew that he was sorry and also knew that there was absolutely nothing else he could do to make himself be set right with God apart from what God could do. That was enough for Jesus. That was all he needed to hear. You see, the second criminal understood what we all understand when we recognize that we have fallen short of doing what God calls us to do, when we fall short of being who it is that God has called us to be. He understands that there is absolutely nothing that you or I can do to repay the debt that we have created for ourselves. It's got to be done by God. He did the one thing he needed to do. He found himself in the presence of Jesus Christ, his Lord, 
with a penitent heart. Jesus knew that this was the direction that things had been going from the beginning. He knew that there was a kingdom that needed a king. He knew that there was a kingdom that would come, and it would flip the world upside down. This kingdom would make the proud humble. The weak would be made strong. The poor would find wealth, whatever that may look like. The sick would be made well, and sinners. Sinners would be justified. In order for this kingdom to be brought about, it would need a king who would reign just a little bit differently. It would need one who would serve the people that he rules over. It would need a king who could pay the penalty of whatever was owed that his people had created. It would need a king who would not reign from a golden throne with jewels inside of it. But this king would reign from an ugly wooden cross. This king would be the one who would stare sin and death in the face and refuse to let it have the last word. This would be the last time that the sacrifice would be needed to cover anyone's sins. Jesus tells this poor criminal with very little hope that there's no reason to worry. Not only will he be remembered when Jesus enters into his kingdom, but Jesus will take him by the hand and lead him into that kingdom. They'll enter into it together. Folks, sin is a very real problem. It creates very real problems in our lives and in our relationships with one another and with God. It hurts everyone around us in one way or another. And we needed a way to be at one with God. We needed a way to be atoned. Day after day, we find that we fall short of God's glory, and we need to be made right with Him. With everything that we do that seems to come up short, we find that there's absolutely nothing that we can do in our power apart from the help of God to be made right. But rather than finding ourselves on a cross getting exactly what we deserve, we find ourselves looking upon the cross today as we stand here on the hill and we hear those words of hope. We hear those words of life being spoken from that cross. If on our journey to this cross today, you've discovered that there is something that is in your life that is creating a giant gap between you and God, or between you and someone else, it's time to let it go. There's no need to keep it around any longer. We look upon this hill of shame and sorrow, and we see what it is that we deserve. It's not a pretty sight. But we can also look up on this hill of shame and sorrow, and we can see just how much God loves each and every one of us. If you want to know what grace looks like, just look at this story. Grace looks very unfair to the one who does not understand the need for it. For the first criminal, the grace was there. All he had to do was take it. But he couldn't even see that it was there because he wouldn't put himself in a position to see it. For the second criminal, he put himself in a position of penitence. He humbled himself. He knew what he had done was wrong. And he brought it to God. He found himself humbly asking to be remembered by his God. And that was all that it took for him to find the grace that had always been there. May it be so for each one of us. May we find ourselves asking to not be set free from our sins. But thanking God for already taking those consequences upon himself. 
We're going to fall short of God's glory. We are going to sin. We just are. It's the way it is. But when it happens, let us fall upon our knees before the throne of our Savior. Let us fall on our knees with penitent hearts and accept that grace wholeheartedly that has always been there. And then let us thank God that there is a cross that allows us to find ourselves in a right relationship with the one who went to the cross for each one of us.